Well, today we're going to be looking at chapter 14 of Exodus. I like to title this one, The Red Sea Delivery. <laughs> it's a well-known uh, chapter. A very, a very, uh, very favored chapter in, in the Torah, in, in the whole existence of, of God's mighty works, you know. And, again, when I look at the, the term of the Red Sea delivery, we see how God used his power then. But it doesn't mean his power does not exist today. He's using it in so many different ways. And, but we're gonna look at this one particular thing that God did. And, and again, I pray that we will just, again, see God in our lives and how he continues to work and, and how we have been delivered from a Red Sea delivery in our lives as well. But, you know, we look at uh, where we've gotten at real quick before I get started. You know, they're on the move. So the adventure begins, okay? They're, they're out of Egypt. Uh, 400 years of, of being a, um, a resident in Egypt, and many of those years became into slavery, are now free to be on the move, okay? Because now the, the last of the plagues happened. Pharaoh said, go ahead and leave. And, and so, but the, he didn't stop there, unfortunately. You know, when you think he was done, he just, uh, gosh, you know, stubbornness what a what a killer it really is you know and and so um in chapter 13 they were on the move they were on the move from the wilderness and god basically gave the instruction of the laws of the firstborn he gave the laws of the feast of unleavened bread and and the things that they were to celebrate for this event so the uh the amazing thing again is is god's mind his heart and his abilities and all things you know everything he did the amazing things he did and yet he still created these feasts for them to, to celebrate in the form of a party of their celebration, which they still actually practice today after thousands of years, you know. And, and so, praise be to God for his, his mighty hand and for his loving heart and for his, his omniscient ways and everything. So we're going to look at chapter 14. I'm going to jump into that because there's going to be a good amount of reading. And so, I, but I always like to give a little bit of a, um, a little bit of a recap from the previous chapters, but I hope that you follow along. Each chapter we do covers step by step. And so I, I, I ask that you would maybe go through it because you don't want to miss these things. You know, there's some very important things that people miss out on. And so uh, maybe maybe certain chapters, they, you know, I'm not interested in that or whatever. Well, I did that before, and I, I can't tell you how many things I missed out on because of that. Where I, or I saw the hand of God somewhere where I never have now. So I, I encourage you to, to follow each chapter. But, you know, I've got them on here for um, for whatever it is that you need. Your references are for, you know, out of curiosity about something. Or you want to hear the whole thing being taught, which is the recommendation. We want to take in the full counsel of God. So um, with that, let's go ahead and take in uh, chapter 14. as It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. They turn and camp before Pihahiroth between Migdal. And the sea, opposite of Baal Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. And then I'll harden, Harold, harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord and that they did so. And it was told the kings of Egypt that the people had fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. He said, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariots 
and took his people with him. After the plagues, you know, and most of all after the last plague, which was the death of every firstborn male in the Egyptian kingdom, Pharaoh thought that he could still win some form of the battle, even though he already lost the war. See, God is, again, as I've said hundreds of times and will continue to say, God is all-knowing. And as he makes known of what's going to happen, how they would be pursued once again. And the interesting part is the location of where they're camping, this Pihahiroth, okay? That, that is a translation that means mouth of the gorges. And then we have Migdal, which means tower. So looking at the location of where God led them is in between some mountains and the Red Sea. And to my understanding, people that have actually been to the location where this had happened, um, they actually had to climb through some very treacherous uh, terrain in order to get to this area. And, and these people that were in tourist groups that have been to the area where, um, where th- these areas have been said. And so when I look at those who would be like that of a navigator in the group, some of them would would say, okay, this was a bad move because we're sitting ducks. But as always, we see that God's ways are not our ways. You know, the, the Egyptians would think, you know, what a bad move. We have them now. Well, this was the ultimate strategic plan by God because we know what happened in the long run. But following this step by step, we see God is in control. Because, you know, the people under Pharaoh were about as hard-headed as he was now. Because they said, why would we let them go? And Pharaoh, in a rage of defeat, says, you're right, go after them. But, you know, after all that, you know, how quickly some forget. You know, perhaps in, his, perhaps in Pharaoh's thought that God was like the gods that Pharaoh worshipped. Because the reason being is because the gods that Pharaoh worshipped had limited power. Because his gods could only have power over certain things, even though they didn't exist, but there was no lesson learned. So do we at times think that God could only do so much? Do we even think that, you know, Satan will leave us alone? <laughs> you know, if so, then we're in for an unpleasant surprise if we think either of those, because nothing is impossible with God, and Satan will not stop messing with God's children as long as we're here on earth in the world that we live in, in our fleshly state. You know, Egypt was Egypt was at its best when Joseph was second in charge, okay, in, in, in the later parts of Genesis. When Joseph was second in charge, and the Pharaoh at the time that was with Joseph 400 years ago let his family come in and dwell in the area of Goshen, and they lived in the land. There was perfect peace, there was harmony, and there was blessings upon Egypt at the time. But once a power-hungry tyrant takes over with other tyrants in his leadership, nothing good can come out of that. It backfired on them as they were angry at themselves that we let them leave. We lost our free labor. Our sources of build, uh, the sources of building our cities are gone now. So this anger toward God's people was, was an added issue because by this rage toward the Israelites, they were just torturing themselves even more. I brought up the time of Joseph because even though it was 400 years before this time, godly leadership never changes in the standards. See, when we're walking, when we're leading or living in the ways of God, then it doesn't matter what time frame it is. Because I hear people say that, well, that was then, this is now. And that may be true, but it doesn't mean as time goes on that we get further from God. 
We can look back at the beginning of time when God spoke to Cain. From the very beginning of time, when Cain was angry with God because he didn't accept his, his, um, his gifts, if you will, or his so-called sacrifice. And the Lord himself, God said, why are you angry? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. That was from God himself. Well, that still stands today from the beginning of time. Cain and Abel were second, or, I'm sorry, third and fourth people on earth, according to scripture. So let's take a look here as we continue in verses um, uh, 7 through 12. Or 6 through 12. And it says, So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overlooked them camping by the, the seaside in Piharoth before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is, it not the, is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than, than we should die in the wilderness? <laughs> well, you know, I'm not sure... I'm not sure what such a thing would look like. You know, you, you got soldiers approaching on top of it. You have 600 chariots. And the Egyptians had the most advanced military and weapons at this time. You know, the chariots of that day was like seeing the tank for the first time in, uh, like, uh, for the first time in World War One. As, as amazing as it was for those that have never seen a tank before, out comes this tank and the people were baffled by this, this machine. So the Israelites were trapped against the sea. There was nowhere to go, at least in their eyes, because they're observing the, the abilities of God that they have never seen before. There was a plan that they never would have thought of, and for this reason we should say, how great is our God? Because this is not the plan they would have thought of. The, the Israelites had no weapons, but it said that they had boldness. <laughs> they had the boldness to call out Moses, and at times to call out God, because they thought they were done for. You know, do, do we not do the? Do we not do that when things happen? You know, I knew it was I knew it was bad, maybe horrific, but we should have stayed and remained as slaves. We we could have been buried at least in in Egypt versus dying here by the sea. That was their words, right? And even the ancient Israelites had the same mindset as we do today. But they had the first-hand witness of God and his ability. That is one thing that they had. And, and, if, and if we didn't have the upcoming verses in our hands, what, what would we think, right? What would we think? What is God doing? And it would be interesting to hear insights because the normal mindset would say is that, well, we were led wrong. Um, some might say Moses is the worst uh, navigator on the face of the earth. Is God truly there for us? Why, why would we be in this death trap by the sea and mountains with no place to go? Right? Well, that would be the thoughts of typical situations and regular people. But God's ways and our ways, again, as I said, very different. 
you know, we know he parts the sea. We will get there. But at this time, we're looking at the plan. The, the premeditated map of the area to go from the guidance of God. But, but in the big picture, we're seeing, in the big picture we're seeing, we see the destination was for the presence of God's power and ability once again, as He will do what no one has ever done before. And this was one of the most remembered things that God did. It's what some would call a story. But I, I prefer to call it an event because an event was something that happened. <laughs> and, and we can see through the, the Bible and, and see where people did, uh, did not see success in their moves and why. Why did we see that people did not have success in their moves? Because simple, it was because it was not a leading from God. See, many in the Bible, many in our day and age make moves on their own accord. But the mindset is God, you know, the mindset is God, here's my plans, bless them, Lord. But some others will say, God, here is my life, use it. And those are the ones that trust God first versus those who think that he'll just clean up any mess if it doesn't pan out. You see, in the grace of God, he does clean it up. And I can speak from experience on both sides. You know, here's my life, use it. Here's my plans, bless them. I've been there. But they went according to the, to the destined location. God does it right the first time. He does it right the first time all the time. And, and what may seem, seem strange to us at first shows his miraculous power later. But again, there must be a true hearing, and not just an emotional, I know this is what God wants, because if it were up to someone else leading, then they would be in big trouble. So as we continue on, let's take a look here at verse 13 to 18. And it says, And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more. The Lord will fight for you, and, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army and chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. You know, we see the faith that Moses had developed now. Uh, because in his earlier, encou earlier encounters with God, Moses was always questioning God out of perhaps fear, uh, out of doubt. But, but in this event, Moses shows faith, right? Stand still, God will fight for you. But then God says, why cry to me? Move on. <laughs> but again, the, the, here's the thing. The instruction was given by God versus what Moses said. Moses was in the right place in heart and mind, but God is in control and proves it. God shows that both prayer and action are required, but prayer first was the plumb line to God. The reason they seen this miracle was simply due to obeying what God said. Lift your rod, stretch out your hands, and the sea will part. Moses will have to do this later during a large battle um, in order for the Israelites to be successful. That's in a different book where Moses' hands will have to be stretched out during a very large battle. And uh, Lord willing, we'll get there. But I wanted to use that as another example. 
But, but as always, it was never the rod of Moses. It was the power of God. The rod was just simply used as an instrument. Once again, God had to say one more time that Pharaoh will know that I am God. Let's take a look here at verses 19 to 22 here. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that one did not come near the other all that night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the, into the midst of the sea and on dry ground and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. You know, it says here one of God's angels was used as well as the cloud, as well that sheltered, this cloud that sheltered the Israelites in the heat now brings a darkness upon the Egyptians. It's amazing how God protects people. You know, every one of us could have no idea what God had prevented uh, from in dangers. And, and there are some who have been uh, that, who have seen how uh, how they were protected. But again, God used an angel and a cloud. If you've ever read through the Bible and seen what some of the angels have done within their abilities and how God had uh, had made them and designed them, it is truly something. But yet, none compare to God. None of them compare to God. Because he used them, commanded them to do whatever that was needed. And we take the Hebrew translation for angel, which is malak. And malak means, it means to send forth. Uh, it could also mean as a messenger, but we take the, the Greek, which is angelos, for angels. And, and that translates as messenger. And we have seen how some were sent forth to do something and how others were there for messages of sorts. Uh, but the power of God is something because when Satan fell, a, uh, when Satan fell, a third went with him. And it was God Himself that had the that had the power, because there was no there was no help needed, but God still uses them for His works and glory. Yeah, I've heard I've heard that some people debate uh, that the area that they crossed, um, so-called scholars, I suppose, <laughs> uh, the the debate was that the area that they crossed was uh, was a shallow end of the Red Sea. But yet it said that there was a wall of water on each side, okay, which was widened just enough for about two million people to go through across. Now, I will say that neither myself nor the ones who think this was there when it happened, but I can say that if, if that were the case, that would have to be even more of an amazing miracle that God did that if that were true. But I'm going off the obvious when I see that there were, that there was walls of water upholding uh, that they were upholding with nothing there as a barrier. You know, I grew up in Southern California. We have Universal Studios out there in California. Uh, they had this bus tour. And this bus tour would actually go to what was they call like the Red Sea type of thing, right? So this bus would go up to this body of water, and all of a sudden the water would basically would part, and the bus would drive through it. 
but th- this this small little uh, lake-like attraction, as you're driving through it, you could actually see the man-made design of the metal devices used to make this happen, uh, right alongside the water there that was that pushed it open. Perhaps someone may come up with a new thing that we've never heard before. That's the thing, is that people are saying that, oh, this was a, a shallow area of water. Well, again, if that were the case, that would be a bigger miracle. But it says there were two walls, two walls of water on each side, and the the ground was dry. And we have to consider the amount of people that were crossing through there within about two million people or so. And where I get that number is is from the book of Numbers, as there was a... um, uh, There was a census taken in the book of Numbers when the people were, were traveling. So, 19 to 28 says... And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel um, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the, uh, the other at all at, at that night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall for them on on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued, went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning... Watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. And he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth, while the Egyptians were fleeing into it, so the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, not much as one of them remained." So as I was saying earlier about skeptics and scholars about going through a shallow marsh area, this goes to show that it was uh, that it was not... That was not the case it looks like because, you know, God would not have had to part water if it was shallow enough to go through. But but the water had to be a large body of water in order to to overtake that large of a multitude with large chariots. So that had to be pretty deep from the area that they started. And many have tried to question this uh, the event because there were no Egyptian recordings of the Red Sea crossing. That's why a lot of people have uh, questioned this as well. Now, you know, if you observe Egyptian history, they do not really record their defeats. Uh, they would delete the names of traitors and other political traitors as as if it never existed. That was kind of the pride of the Egyptians, but they never really recorded their defeats very uh, very often or at all, if that matter. Now, we do have hieroglyphics of Hebrew slaves and other things in their history that they were in Egypt. But from the Egyptian standpoint, there was no, you know, nothing written down about the, uh, the crossing of the sea and being crushed by the water as the Israelites were being chased by a mighty army. Now, not long ago, 
I may have mentioned it, that at the bottom of the Red Sea, there was actually findings of of golden chariot wheels, weapons, and bones of men dating back somewhere between three to thirty four hundred years old that were actually just recently discovered in the bottom of the Red Sea. See, people can attempt to delete history, but God will God will reveal the facts in many ways, and this was just one of them. See, I was thinking about the crossing and, and certain things when they were crossing on how God allowed this. You know, recently I was walking through some wet grass and a, a day after a rainstorm. And I actually sunk down a little bit. And, and this was just after some rain, okay? But yet the ground was strong enough to withhold the weight of all these people crossing in the, in the sea that was always there. Right? God hardened this ground. That's amazing, right? He opens the sea and then he allows this ground that would normally be so soft that nobody would be able to get through it hard enough for them to make it across like concrete. And the neat thing is that Moses was used in the event because God did the miracle but uses mankind to not just witness it but to be a part of it. And by this, it was the ultimate vindication of the Pharaoh, right? The, the ultimate loss as not one of them was remained, was said, right? Not one of them were, was remained. And, and, and could God have done this himself? Well, of course he, right? Of course he could have done this himself. He created the earth and the universe. He created mankind himself. He could have absolutely done it alone, but he allowed Moses and others to be used, Angels were used, okay? Many others will be used because God is so good. And, and stretching out our hands to the Lord is always a good thing when, when God commanded Moses to stretch out your arms. <laughs> you know, we need to stretch out our hands to God all the time, not just when we're being pursued by an enemy, but just because. Myself, including, must remember the importance of stretching out our hands to God because He is worthy. I absolutely love it when my children would run up to me with their arms out. I can only imagine, you know, God is so pleased to have that as well when we do that with Him. What would happen if we stretched our arms out to God more often? And I say that not just for the sake of gain or for the sake of success or deliverance, but for the sake of just precious moments that that nothing can compare. Well, let's go ahead and see what transpired next real quick in verses 29 to 31. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So God saved Israel that the day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Now we see the plan of God in the location of the mountains and the Red Sea. You know, the people of this time were uh, were just getting their feet wet with God, right? <laughs> Yet they didn't have to get their feet wet well, literally by the power of God. I really hope and pray that, that you will follow along as we venture through the Bible because there is so much more that was done. And, and along that, we will see the mind and heart of God, the hand of God, and all of the Word of God, right? That's what we see. And the people feared God and believed in Moses as a servant of God for a while at least, okay? But as people, as people will rebel later on, people change, but God remains the same, right? God will not change, even when people do. It is only the Lord who can save people in what would be impossible circumstances. 
in the eyes of others at least, but it, it was only the Lord who did save us, right? Only the Lord who saved us for the ability to obtain everlasting life. We may have Red Sea moments in our lives, and we come to a, to a dead end in the end, in the end, right? I mean, that we, we come to a dead end and the end is right there for us. But we may, but we may, uh, whatever the case may be, we face things that are hard places to be in at times. Right? We, we, we face these things, these hard places that we're in at times. But whatever that, that may come in life, we have the comfort of knowing that we are accepted into the heavenly place of God with Him when we ask to receive His Son, Christ Jesus, into our hearts and in our lives. And, and maybe you're doing fine. There's no Red Sea moments, okay? Well, it, it doesn't matter because there will be an eternity to enter. And we make the choice of which one we go to. And I can assure that God would love to have you, whoever you are, wherever you are, and in your in your life, right? Wherever you are in your life. The question is, is do you want God? Do you want Christ as Lord and Savior in your life? That is the question. You don't have to be in a Red Sea moment. I've heard people say that, I, I, oh, I'm doing just fine. I don't need the Lord. It don't matter how fine you're doing. You, you need the Lord. <laughs> don't matter how bad you're doing. You need the Lord regardless. You know, I mean, he's, he's there through the good and the bad times. That's the beauty of it. That's the amazing thing of it. But receiving him is what gets us into heaven. That's what he said in his word. The people, the people who, were, who were there, who were walking with God and believed in God and walked with him, experienced the deliverance. But we had a deliverance as well. And that deliverance was on the cross once and for all. And to believe it and receive it gives us eternal life. I want to give that opportunity to receive that eternal life if you feel led. But you say a prayer. You say this prayer with me after, after my words in truth. That you receive him as not just your, your Savior, but your Lord and Savior. And I pray that, that again, that he will do mighty works in your life. That you will be able to be used mightily. And through the good and bad times, stay close to God. And know that that we're going to be with him no matter what happens. So I want to give this opportunity now if you want to say this prayer with me. Dear God, please forgive me. Please forgive me of all of my sins. As I confess to you that I am a sinner. And I thank you, Lord, for washing my sins away, Lord. I thank you for, for dying on the cross, Lord. And I pray that you would continue, Lord, to work in my life as I, as I walk with you, Lord. And I thank you for being my Father, Lord, as I receive you in my heart. As I love you and I praise you, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, what a, what a joy as always, you know. Uh, I thank you for anybody out there for uh, for joining along, being a part of this with me. You know, I, my passion is 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 doing what I do, and and it, whether it be in front of a, an audience, uh, whether it be in front of uh, a few people, me doing what I do here online is the calling that God has called.
And I just, again, I, I invite you to join along as we venture together through the Word of God to get closer to Him. Pray that you received Him. And that, that mighty works will be done in your life. But most of all, you've made the wisest decision you'll ever make. So may you walk closely with Him and may you do many things in His name. God bless you.